Well, it's great to be with you all. We're going to start with a scripture reading and a prayer. We're going to begin with a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on rock. When the rainy season set in, the torrents came and the winds blew and buffeted the house, it did not collapse. It had been solidly set on rock. Anyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sandy ground. The rain fell, the torrents came, the winds blew and buffeted the house. It collapsed under all this and was completely destroyed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you tonight in Jesus' holy name and in his holy presence. Thank you, Lord, for being present in our midst, for loving us so much. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be richly at work in all that happens here. Stir in our hearts the gifts and graces that you have already poured into our lives and that you will that we live from tonight. Lord, give us grace. Give us mercy. Shepherd us, Jesus, through all that happens here. We ask your almighty hand of merciful protection to be over us, Heavenly Father. We ask, Lord our God, that you would truly anoint us in this moment. We love you, Lord. We long to glorify you. We do turn to the Holy Family, especially our, our Mother Mary and St. Joseph, and ask for their sweet, powerful intercession as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, now, if you're interested in the fuller version of this, I have a, it's a, a book about 250 pages long called Marriage, a Gift from God. It's yours for free, digitally. All you have to do is just go to my website and sign up for it. Now, my wife Carrie and I, we've been married 27 years. We've been blessed with nine children. Now, they're all boys except for seven of them. And, and those nine kids came in 12 years. So I'm right now in the middle of having five teenagers. <laughs> I'm, this is the, old, the whole reason for tonight is just to get you to pray for me, okay? So marriage in family, it is truly a gift from God. It is from God. So when I grew up, there was this idea of saying, God, you have someone for me. If, you, if I'm called to be married, you have someone for me. So I prayed for my spouse before I ever met her. And that's something I recommend to you. You can pray for your kids or your grandkids, future spouses, or if they're called to a religious life or, or the priesthood, pray for their communities, that they would know and respond to God's call for them. And, and that does something to a person. I prayed for Carrie for probably four years before I ever met her. And it was so interesting because when I sensed that I was called to be married, I would, if I felt there was like, okay, maybe this could be the one, it would only take about one or two dates. And I realized that that one that I was 
made for, that one that is in my heart, you're not the one. And so just a date or two, and it was like, no, nah, you don't live in my heart. Now, I didn't say that. That wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't have been very kind, right? But the difference was, when I met Carrie, she came to visit her brother who was living with me in D.C., and there was this immediate sense of, hmm. So when we went out together for the first time on a double date, we went to uh, go visit a friend of hers and have some dinner. We were together in the car, and we got to the, uh, to, we arrived at her friend's house, and she ran off to see her friend. Something leapt from deep within my heart, something that said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. This woman is going to be my wife from deep down. And I share that with you just to say again, you want to be praying for your kids, for your grandkids, when it comes to big decisions, what's their state in life? Are they called to be married? Trusting that the Lord is not hiding his plan. And in fact, he intends to do something spectacular in your kids' lives, in your lives. The, the Catholic Church teaches that God is the author of marriage. What does an author do? An author writes something, writes a book, writes something, in order to do what? To convey a message to the world. I want you to hear this. Did you ever think, those of you that are married, who's who, I see some married couples here, you know who you are. Have you ever stopped and thought, why are we together? Use the right tone of voice, not, why are we together, right? No. Why? Did you, Lord, bring us together? And the Lord said, it's because I want to author something in this world through your marriage, through your family. That, that's what God intends. Through your married life, God is going to bring a message. He's going to bring something out into the world. Now, that's exciting. Now, where can we find a source of newness, of encouragement? Again, Carrie and I, 20, over 27 years married, right? It's like, is there anything new? Yeah, there's still something new. Well, where do we discover that? How do we go deeper into that? St. John Paul II is going to help us. St. John Paul II was a bishop at the Second Vatican Council. And when he came out of that, he was the Archbishop of Krakow. And he said, I've got to implement the teaching of the council into my diocese, and he wrote a book on it, on the implementation of the Second Vatican Council's teaching into the life of his people. Okay, I want you to hear that. Truth is meant to take flesh in our lives. So we're going to hear about the truth of who we are and what marriage is and the vision of the Lord, the church, and John Paul II's articulation of it, and that's meant to take shape in our lives. So St. John Paul II says, look, if we want to bring about a renewal, if we want to bring about something new and go deeper... We shouldn't begin, first of all, with actions, behaviors. It's easy to think, you see these behaviors, these behaviors, these actions in our married life, in our family's life, they're holding us back. So these are the bad behaviors, let's change them and let's get some new behaviors. He says, that's not where you're going to find the deepest transformation. Don't start with the actions or the behaviors. Because he says actions and behaviors are traced back to attitudes. Anybody in your house have an attitude? I got five teenagers. I know all about attitudes. 
An attitude is a way of relating to something. You see, how I behave is traced back to how I relate to it. Well, he says, don't first try to change attitudes. Changing an attitude is a difficult thing, but that's not going to be the deepest source of renewal. He says, if you want to go deeper, if you want to go to the heights of what God has for you, don't start with the behaviors. Behaviors or actions are going to trace back to the attitudes, the way of relating. That's going to be traced back to what he calls consciousness or awareness or how I see something. John Paul II says, if you can begin with the mindset, how you see, that's going to shape how you relate, and that's going to overflow in your behaviors. You want to change how people are, are acting? Change how they see it. If they see it differently, they'll relate differently, and then they'll behave differently. So tonight, we're going to talk about how to see. And how to see is a conversion. The ultimate meaning of conversion in the New Testament is a change of mind a change of mindset, and that's a gift from God. So we're going to discover a change of mindset John Paul II proposes to us as a source of renewal in our family life. John Paul II says, if we're going to go to the core, if we're going to go to the depths, we have to know who we are as persons. Who you are as a person. And he goes into our tradition, and he draws out a definition of the person, what it means to be a human being created in the image and likeness of God. And he says, if we can mine the meaning of this concept, this idea about what it means to be a person, we'll see who we are differently. And remember, if you see something, what's going to change? How you relate to it, your attitude. And then will also overflow your behaviors. And he said, let's draw out into the open what's in our tradition about who you are as a person. And he says this, to be a person is to be gift. What? To be a person is to be a gift. That's kind of a strange word. We live in a, in a time today where the idea of gift comes in as something that you have. Oh, that person is so gifted. Something that you say all the time about your kids or your grandkids. They have so many gifts. John Paul II says, yes, it's true, you have gifts, but deeper than that, deeper than the gifts that a person has is the gift a person is. Now, what does that mean? Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor, licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. What does John Paul II mean when he says that to be a person is to be a gift? Well, he means two things. The first side is, let's call it the negative side of the coin. The negative side of the coin is, all that you are, all that you have, has come from God as a, as a gift. What that means is, you didn't create yourself. Anybody say, you know what, I'd like to exist. Here I am. No. Who you are is radically, fundamentally coming from God at every moment. 
as a gift. But that's just the negative side. There's a positive side. And since you laughed, you're going to come up. Come up here. Come up higher. Come forward. What's your name? Shannon. Shannon. I'm going to share with you, Shannon, in front of everyone else here, what John Paul II means on the positive side when he says, to be Shannon is to be gift. Now she's going to cry. She hasn't even heard it yet. Okay, are you ready? To be a gift is this. It means that you are one of a kind. In all of human history, only one of you will ever exist. And because of that, you are irreplaceable in the plan of God for all of human history. You're precious. You are someone through whom God's goodness and truth and beauty shines forth in a way that no one else who's ever existed will ever shine forth with that same beauty and truth and goodness except for Jesus. And in fact, Jesus intends to shine through you, Shannon, in a way that no one else who ever has lived will have Jesus shine forth in the same way. You are unique. You're a gift. Now, wait a minute now. John Paul II, are you exaggerating when you say that kind of stuff? And the answer is no, because he will say this. Why is that true about Shannon? Because she's a person. What does that mean? Well, there are millions, well, billions of women on this earth. Millions of them are alive right now that have the name Shannon. But there's only one being in all of history, in all of creation, who will ever say, I, Shannon, with Shannon's I. The person, the I of Shannon, is irrepeatable, irreplaceable, unique, precious, never to be seen again. And you all have the privilege of being alive while she is. <laughs> Whoa, did you get that, huh? Do you realize who you got? You married up, man. Look at that. That is so awesome. Okay, so what John Paul II proposes is, how would your life change? How would your marriage change? How would your family change if you had the consciousness, that awareness, if you saw your spouse, your children, every single person that you meet in this world as a gift? As gift, everything changes. Everything changes. Now, this is a pretty exalted vision. And I'm going to share something with you that's so very important. John Paul II builds an entire vision for living, individual life, marriage, and family around this. It's four sentences. You're going to learn these four sentences. You're going to take them home with you and hopefully enflesh them in your life. Repeat them after me. All is gift. I'm a steward. I'm to give myself as a gift. And I do not take myself too seriously. Those four sentences, all is a gift. I'm a steward. I'm going to give myself as a gift. I don't take myself too seriously. That's John Paul II's theology of the person enfleshed. 
Now, let's talk about this. I would love to have that be more alive in me, that gift quality that I am in my life. I'd love to be able to look at my spouse and my kids with that gift quality. Well, you know what we come to discover? That the reality that you're a gift is not something that you figure out. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. But the discovery and living in the awareness that you are a gift is in fact given to you as a gift. Ooh. No wonder so many people settle for gifts, but don't know how to get to the core being a gift. Guess where we come to discover and receive the gift that we are a gift? It's in communion and communication with Jesus. It's Jesus Christ who will reveal to you your gift quality. Only he. And it's in the encounter with Christ that changes everything. Everything changes in our lives when we live from that encounter. It's there that we discover our deepest identity. Look at how many of the major figures in the scriptures did not know who they were until they had the life-giving personal encounter with God. Abe. How does Abe become Abraham? So the encounter with the Lord. How about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What is Jacob's name, ultimately? Israel. How does Jacob become Israel? He wrestles with the messenger of God. He wrestles with God to know who he is. Wait a minute. How many apostles were there, real quick? Twelve. Who was number one among the twelve? Peter. Wait a minute. Was that Peter's name at birth? No, his name was Simon. How did Simon become Peter? Did one day he show up and say to everyone, hey, everyone, call me Rocky? That was not how it happened. It was the encounter with Jesus. How did Saul become Paul? Jesus. It's the encounter. Sometimes it's that encounter that will knock us off our horse. I mean this sincerely. Do you want to see transformation in your marriage and family? Go before the Lord and say to him, who am I to you? Not, what do you want me to do? Not, can you do this for me? That's how we spend a lot of our time in prayer. But go before him and say, Lord, who am I to you? In fact, Paul VI, St. Pope Paul VI, his first encyclical was called Paths of the Church. And Paths of the Church was all about how could the church be salt, light, and leaven in the world. And he said, there are three paths to walk in order for the church to fulfill its mission in the world. Do you know the first path that he says every member of the church must walk? It's the path to facing Jesus Christ. Why? Because there, looking into the eyes of Christ, we will come to discover the idea, the true identity of who we are in his eyes. And this is something that is so transformative. When this happens for you, it's going to overflow in your family.
I've been blessed with nine kids. Carrie and I are a little slow on the uptake to get our kids to the dentist. We regret that. And so my kids didn't know how to floss, so my little three or four-year-old girl, Anne Marie, I get down on my knee, looking her, open her mouth with that flosser. I'm flossing between the teeth. I get back up. I'm looking at her. She's looking at me with a smile on her face. She says, Dad, I can see myself in your eyes. Oh, I worked hard for that one, right? I can see myself in your eyes. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not, where do your kids first discover their identity? In your eyes. How you see them. How you look at them. Because how you see them shapes how you relate to them, which shows up in how you behave towards them. I know what you're saying. My kid is a gift in every moment. How is this possible? My kid's doing a lot of non-gift-like behavior. This is very important to know. This is a very important to know, and it has to do with the Catholic understanding of growing in holiness. And it comes from a beautiful image that our tradition uses of the sculptor. Now, John Donne was an Anglican priest and poet, and there's a famous phrase of his, the sculptor does not make the statue, he removes what hid it. Famous story, Michelangelo, one of his most famous sculptors is called the David. The story is Michelangelo goes into Donatello's workshop, another famous sculptor of the time. There they see this real, he sees a very, very large piece of marble that is there on the side of the workshop. No one knows what to do with it. It's been there for decades. This huge piece of marble. Michelangelo this day comes in, looks at that marble and says, I, looking at the marble, saw David. And it was my job to set David free from the marble. That's parenting. That's marriage. The ones that God brings into your life, your family, is a bunch of masterpieces. Now those kids can look like blockheads. Those blocks of marble doing a really good job but it's our job to remove what is hiding the masterpiece that is already present, but in a hidden state. Whoa. Our tradition calls that ablatio. Get to learn some Latin. Ablatio is the process of removal. Holiness is removing what is hiding the authentic, profound identity that is already ours in Christ. We are children of God. And so we ought to act like children of God. Live in a worthy manner after the calling that you have received. Today's liturgy. And so this reality that it's all a gift is about learning how we as parents are called, and in our married life called, to remove those things that are hiding the masterpiece within. Let's talk about that. Repeat after me, all is gift. I'm a steward. I'm gonna give myself as a gift. 
I don't take myself too seriously. Okay, I'm a steward, blessed with nine kids. One of my kids was born and um, in an emergency medical condition was present. They had to take her, put her in an incubator into an uh, ambulance, rushed her off to a neonatal intensive care unit. They performed surgery to get this poison out of her system, perform uh, surgery to get some construction going internally, saved her life. And in the course of her first uh, 11 years, had nine surgeries in three children's hospitals around the country. She continues to this day to have challenges that are associated with her medical condition. I want to tell you about her second surgery. She was six months old, second surgery, was not considered life-threatening, but it was delicate. Because her condition was one that introduced real suffering into her life, tremendous suffering into her life. And so this surgery was meant in a very delicate way to relieve some of that suffering and start her on a path towards uh, a normal, a quote unquote normal way of life. And so I still remember so clearly sitting there in the pre-operating room getting ready and the surgeon comes in with the anesthesiologist, the attending nurse, they explain everything that's gonna happen and they said, okay, it's time. And I said to them, can we pray first? And the surgeon was like, okay. And so I prayed the way a father would pray for his daughter. Father, please, in Jesus' name, take care of my little girl. Please, Lord, bless the surgical team. Help them to do an awesome job. Let everything go well. Lord, if they don't, strike them down. I didn't say that. I thought that, but I did not say that. And let everything go well in Jesus' name, amen. And he looked up and he said, amen. And then he said, okay. And as I was handing over my daughter inside of me, this little thing evoked, and it was, Lord, please, I need this man to have a good day. I need him to be on. I need his A game. Why? He's got a whole bunch of surgeries this day. My daughter's just one of them. If he's not on to the extent that he could have been on, he gets to go have lunch. My daughter is going to live with the implications of his living out his duty in that moment. But if he does a good job, he still goes have lunch. And my daughter, her whole life, the trajectory of her every day changes because of how he did. He had a good day. He had a good day. My daughter's condition improved quite a bit. She still had a long way to go. And she still lives today. But it gets traced back to what happened in that six months. That stewardship that stewardship. You know that one that you call your spouse that's near you there? What's your name? Richard. You see this Shannon right here? Shannon is someone's daughter. She's a daughter of God. You know what the daughter, you know what that God the Father did? God the Father said to you, Richard, Lord, he said, he said, me? I need you to have a good day. That's your stewardship.
Stewardship is entrustment. And before we are entrusted with these children, God entrusts us with them. Even more than we have a sense of stewardship over the lives of our spouse or our family, it's God who is the Father who entrusts to us his children, and he needs us to have a good day. There's a lot at stake in how we live out our stewardship. There's so much at stake in how it is we live out this call that these children given to us are unique, precious, one of a kind. And God wants to do something glorious. He's the author. He's writing a story through your family's life and in each of your kids' lives. How do we do this? How do we live out the stewardship concretely? Let's just focus in. There's a hundred things I could say. I don't have time. I only got an hour. So I'm just going to give you a couple of things, a couple of things that I think are critical associated with this gift message. The first is this, the power of speech. How you see shows up in what you say. How you see shows up in what you say. Here, I'm going to give you this. It's called the five-task test. The five-task test. How many times do we wake up Saturday morning, give our kids five tasks to do? We go off, we do our tasks. We come back, they do three of them. What's the first thing you notice? The two they didn't. No, they didn't. Gifting gap. Do you notice what they did? Draw attention to that, celebrate, affirm, or do you focus on the gap? Why didn't you get those things done? It's amazing how what we see shows up in what we say. So I'm going to encourage you to learn the power of affirmation. My dad, he actually was a master builder. I'm the son of a carpenter. And he would take us on jobs sometimes that were demolition and then rebuild, right? I, what was more fun? Demolition. It is, let me say it out loud, it's a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. And yet the power of speech is so important in the plan of God. How does God in the scriptures inspire Moses in, in Genesis to, to describe the act of creation? And God said, let there be light. There's power in your speech that the Lord will use to create something out of nothing. The Lord uses speech to bless, to build up, to bring life, to heal, to cast away evil. Or to divide, tear down, and introduce darkness. So much is in the power of speech. Learn to affirm. Learn to build up. Don't ever settle for sarcasm or negative humor. I was... I was really good at sarcasm as a teen. It was my way of trying to fit in. I was quick, pretty sharp, could notice things and bring out a negative cut. Oh, come on, it's just a joke. Don't take it so seriously. And I can remember one time I, I said something to a dear friend, a, a young lady, a dear friend of mine. I said something, and it was like, oh, that went over the line. And a buddy of mine said, Tom, that was horrible. Don't you ever talk to her like that again. And I'm like, wow, I was so convicted. I went and I um, confessed to the priest 
And he recommended a book called Spirituality in the Gentle Life, Adrian Von Kamm, Spirituality in the Gentle Life. And in it, he ends up saying that oftentimes sarcasm is traced back to self-hatred. Because I hated myself, that would show up. So he, in that book, talks about the importance of allowing the Lord to love me, to love me in a way that I come to see who I am differently, and then if I can learn that the Lord is celebrating me, then I can learn how to be celebratory to others. I don't have to speak negatively. And all of a sudden, it becomes a life-giving thing to be affirming. And so I want to encourage you, if harsh speech, negative speech, dark speech, uh, speech that breaks peace is part of your life, come to the Lord and allow him to wash over you his love. Allow him to speak to you, Lord, who am I to you? And let him speak that to you. And it'll wash over you and it'll begin to uproot that negative speech. But then improve by speaking words of affirmation. Affirmation are words that build up. What does that look like? I'm going to give you five characteristics of affirmation. Hold on to this. This will be important. Affirmation is specific, not general. Father Lewis, you are just a great guy. How do you feel? Affirmed? Yeah, yeah kind of. Not very powerful. Just kind of just this general idea. Be specific, not general. Be authentic. Don't be phony. Right? Don't be a phony. You know, Father, I've never met a priest like you before. How do you feel now, right? Don't exaggerate. Stay in the measure of the truth. Father, when you walk into the room, it's like the heavens open and the angels are now present. Right? She, even she's laughing at that one. Okay, so. So be specific. Be authentic. Be measured. Don't speak in a way that's contrasting. Father, I got to tell you, you are such a better homilist this year than you were last year. Okay, everyone feel affirmed right there? Yeah, it's just like... And then the last one is, let it be near in time. You know, Father, I was so touched by the way you helped my family three years ago. If you have the eyes to see, you know what you'll be able to do on a daily basis? Affirm. Specifically, authentically, in a measured fashion, not contrasting with the negative, and near in time. You do that, you'll foster an atmosphere. You're being a steward of the gift that is yours. Now, I'm going to give you two other quick ones, and I got to move on because I'm going to run out of time. Okay? There's way more in that book, and there's way more in the talks. So if you want them, where do you go? MyCatholicFaith.org. Just sign up. I'll send it to you for free. Okay. So just really quick. It's the difference between love does love say, be, I celebrate you as you are? Or does love say, become, I want so much more for you? Yes, it's both. But it's learning how to recognize the right time. So I have many gifted kids. One time I was out, and one of my gifted kids, Mary Grace, was playing basketball. She was learning. I'm like, she came out and said, Dad, you want to shoot some baskets with me? Awesome, let's go. And so she was kind of doing the shot and doing the shot. And I'm like, hey, Mary Grace, why don't you just kind of turn your hand a little bit more and spin the ball? And, oh, and, and she kind of looked at me and kind of did that. A couple more shots. And then I'm like, Mary Grace, why don't you try doing a layup and jump off of your left foot? And she's like, oh, okay. Now, am I loving her? 
Yeah, I'm loving her. I want her to get better. She gets better, she's going to have more fun. One more time I did that. Hey, why don't we just do a foul shot? Yeah. She dropped the ball and walked off the court. She just wanted to be with dad. Be with dad, enjoying a game of basketball. I wanted her to become a better player because I loved her so much I wanted her to improve. One of the things that you'll have to learn in your stewardship is when to be, when to become. When do I love them just to be with them as they are? When do I love them enough to say, hey, let's walk forward together? Learn my lesson, John Mark, the older of my two sons. Dad, can we play baseball together? Absolutely. So I'm like throwing him the ball. He's just learning, right? And he just swings and misses. And I'm like, okay, let me try this again. And he just swings and misses. John Mark, let me show you how to hold the bat, right? And then there was another voice in my head that said, Tom, Warning, warning. And then I'd say to him, John Mark, keep your eye on the ball. And he's getting frustrated. And I'm like, oh, right now, it's not John Mark's job to keep his eye on the ball. It's my job to keep my eye on his bat. John Mark, just swing, just swing. Okay. Got to throw the ball there. Okay, here we go. Get ready, John Mark. Here it comes. I threw the ball there. He went like that, and he hit the ball, and it was celebration time. Too often, in loving our family, we want to have that loved one keep their eye on the ball when it's really our job to keep our, our eye on the bat. You love them as they are, and pretty soon they want to become who they're not yet. Stewardship. Last thing. Too often our speech is interventional. Interventional speech is what? Oh, yeah, everything's fine in the house until they do something wrong. John Luke, what did she just do? I call it the whiteboard test. Don't tell me what you think of your kid. Write down on the whiteboard all the things you've said to your kid in the last few days. And then just look at those words. And then tell me what the kid thinks who just hears those words. Ooh, that can be way too revealing because often we settle for interventional speech. All right, I have a lot more to say. Don't have time. All is gift. I'm a steward. I'm going to give myself as a gift. And I don't take myself too seriously. What does it mean to say that we are a gift, we also have a mission, that's stewardship. Well, that mission is, guess what? To be a gift. Did you hear that? If you have been created as a gift, your call is to be who you are. Who are you? You're a gift. Be a gift. What am I talking about? Well, 2007, we reached a plateau in the current home. We outgrew minivans, okay? We crested into 12-passenger van territory. I got on the phone, negotiated a used 12-passenger van, agreed on a price, went down, took it for a drive, all good, shake hands. The guy who sold me the car said, is this for a church? And I'm kind of like, kind of, domestic church, right? Family's a domestic church. 
And I told him it was for my family. He's like, whoa. And so I said, go in there and see the person who deals with warranties. So I go in, I sit down across from the lady who does the warranties. And she says, 12 passenger van? Is this for a youth group? <laughs> I'm like, kind of. And so we went through that process. She says, go to the front. There'll be a girl out there. We'll finish up the paperwork. Pick up your keys, paperwork, and you're done. I go out to the front. There's a, a young lady receptionist there, college-age student. And I'm just kind of hanging out, watching. And she's just kind of hanging out, doing her thing, answering calls, welcoming people. And she has a book open. I'm like, hey, you a student? She said, yeah. So what do you, what do you want to be? She says, well, I want to be a doctor. And I said, well, what kind? Well, I want to be a surgeon. Well, what kind? She says, well, I'm not sure. I either want to be a brain surgeon or a plastic surgeon. I said, well, if you're not sure, don't be a brain surgeon. <laughs> Doctor, what should we do? I'm not sure. Not a good thing. So I said, well, what's this class on? She said, this class is on love and marriage. I'm like, awesome. I know a little bit about this. I said, what's love? And she's like, I'm not sure. We haven't gotten that far yet in the class. And I'm like, OK. Let's start. Let's start with the idea of marriage. I said, are you dating someone? She said, yeah. I said, is he the one? You know what she said? I'm not sure. <laughs> and I said, give me a piece of paper. And so she gave me a piece of paper. I wrote some stuff down. I gave it to her. And I said, can he say that to you? And she looked at it. And she's like, I'm not sure. Do you know what was on the paper? This is what was on the paper. You are a gift. It would be a privilege to spend my life pouring my life out so that you could become everything God intended you to be. Can he say that to you? I'm not sure. Can you say that to him? I'm not sure. Don't get married. Because love, in the vision of John Paul II, is donatio. Donatio, a Latin word that means to give as a gift. Love is, in the end, the giving not of time, energy, attention, investing money. It's the giving of one's own self as a gift. That means given freely. Oh, and that means given sacrificially. Love and marriage, to give oneself as a gift, is to learn the nature of Christian love. And that also means to learn the nature of Christian joy. Okay, To learn the nature of Christian joy. What do I mean? Aquinas, in accord with the, the Western tradition, going back to Aristotle, says we're made for happiness. Happiness is about fulfillment. But when you reach your goal, there's an overflow. That's joy. Joy is the overflow that comes when you've achieved your end. We are made for joy. But Aquinas brings out that there, is two, there are two kinds of joy. There's the natural form of joy, and there's Christian joy. Let me give you an example. I was giving a talk at a church. They had some refreshments, and at the end of the night, I went over to the refreshment table, and the woman said, Tom, I know how much you like chocolate chip cookies. I saved the biggest one for you. I said, thank you. I wrapped it in a napkin. Drove home. It was late at night when I got home. It was dark. I went in quietly. Lights were off. Went into the kitchen. And I opened up the refrigerator. And the light came on in the kitchen. And it was Carrie, my wife. 
Carrie comes in, you're home. I said, yes. And she saw the napkin unfolded and the big chocolate chip cookie. And she said, you brought me a cookie. <laughs> you brought me a cookie. And I said to her, touch it and you lose your hand. <laughs> what I said was, and yes, that I was just taking out some cold milk to go with it. <laughs> right? Okay. Now let me make clear the distinction between joy and Christian joy. If facing Kerry, who wanted that cookie, I ate the whole cookie and drank a glass of cold milk with it, would I have enjoyed it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would have enjoyed it. Wouldn't have enjoyed what came next, but I would have enjoyed that. You see, because joy is what? It's the overflow that comes when you've reached fulfillment. I wanted the cookie. I achieved the goal. Overflow. There's joy. Christian joy is the joy that comes to someone who sacrifices their own joy on behalf of the joy of someone else freely and in love. You want to say that again? Christian joy is the joy that comes to our lives by sacrificing, giving up our joy, what we would enjoy, for the sake of the joy that comes to the one we love, and we do it freely. That's Christian joy. It's the joy that comes through the cross. By my dying to self, I rise with Christ, and I bring his light into the family. Your family life will be marked by joy and Christian joy. And as parents and as a couple, expect that Christian joy is going to be the model of how you live your life together. That's not easy in marriage. That's not easy among the kids. In married life, Carrie and I, in the early years, came up with a way of signaling the call to Christian joy. I'm going to give you the sentences that we used. You can maybe use them or pass them down to your kids. Are you ready? Repeat after me. This is not important to me. This is important to you. You are important to me. I'll do that. Okay. This is a really interesting thing. So, in 2004, God proved not only his existence definitively, but also the downfall of the devil. Do you remember how? 2004? The Red Sox won the World Series. Not only did they win the World Series, but they won the World Series by overcoming the devil in seven games, incarnated in the team called the New York Yankees. On their way, right, to beating the Cardinals in four games. You remember, I'm sure. I'm from Boston, living in Seattle. The Red Sox are in the World Series. The Red Sox are playing against the Yankees. Oh, I got to have my friends over. Oh, I want to just be able to celebrate. I went to Kerry. Kerry, can we just have some nights here with the Red Sox World Series? I would love it if we could have some friends over and you could make some chicken wings. You could serve us some food. Could you kind of just help take care of that whole event? And you know what Kerry said to me? This is not important to me. This is important to you. You are important to me. I'll do that. 
And so the night of one of the World Series games, I had my buddies over, honey, and she comes out of the kitchen with her tray of chicken wings. Would you like another beer? Would you like, oh, it was glorious. I loved it, and they won. About a month later, Carrie handed me a postcard for a spa night with tea cookies happening at our house. Didn't know this. She said, honey, I'm going to have some of my girlfriends over, and we're going to enjoy pedicures and manicures and facials. And it would be so nice if you could come and deliver some tea cookies and tea to the gathered ladies. And I said to her, this is not important to me. This is important to you. You are important to me. I'll do that. The night of the spa night, all these chairs lined out, each individualized tubs, feet in the water, hands. Honey, I come out with my apron on and my little tea. Would you like another tea cookie? What this will instill in your married life is a spirit of who gets to sacrifice tonight. Hey, what movie are we going to watch tonight? What restaurant are we going to go to this week? We can approach it in two ways. Last week, we went to the restaurant that you picked. The last time we watched a movie, we picked the one that you chose. Tonight, we get to go to the place that I want to go to. Or we can say, honey, I know that we've watched Sleepless in Seattle 17 times in a row, but I bought the special extended edition so that you could enjoy it again, right? To be able to look for opportunities to do that is a tremendous gift. Last point on this. Carrie grew up in a family of 12 kiddos, 12. She's number 10. Number 11 um, is a child with developmental disabilities. Uh, her name's Christina, and um, she um, has the capacity of about a two-year-old. She's uh, spastic. Um, and um, most of her muscles are very tight. She has a very difficult time being understood. And Carrie is her closest sister. And so I would all, whenever I, when I first met Carrie, Christina always with her. And um, her family was special, Carrie's family, very devout Catholic family. They'd go away on retreats every year as a whole family. And one of their activities was ask mom and dad anything you want. So one year, she remembers in the question box, they pulled out a question, and the question was, what was the greatest gift God's given you in your marriage? What's the greatest cross God's given you in your marriage? And they looked at each other and without hesitation said, the greatest cross God's given us in our marriage is Christina. The challenges that were introduced into our lives unexpectedly day to day that have walked with us throughout our lives, Christina has been the biggest cross in our lives. What's the greatest gift God gave us in our marriage? Christina. Christina called forth something from us that none of our other kids did. Christina gave something to us that none of our other kids did. Christina introduced something into our families that no one else did who had a full, healthy life. You know Christina's middle name? Joy. They named her Christina Joy. Because even from the moment of birth, they know that it was a little Christ, Christina. It was a little Christ that the Lord had entrusted to them 
And through that little Christ, there would be a source of joy that would be brought into their family that they wouldn't experience in any other way. All is gift. I'm a steward. I'm going to give myself as a gift. I do not take myself too seriously. That's a virtue. Did you know that? It's actually a virtue. It's the virtue of hilaritas. Isn't that a great name of a virtue? Hilaritas? Hilaritas is the virtue by which we don't take ourselves too seriously. In the scriptures, do you know who displays hilaritas? It's Jesus says about those who are fasting, don't look glum, but rather display hilaritas. There's a freedom, there's a joy, there's an enjoyment that comes from not taking ourselves too seriously. The model in the Middle Ages of those who lived hilaritas were the paladin. Who are the paladin? They were the frontline soldiers of Charlemagne, running, riding into battle at the front, carrying the standard with their hoods rolled back, singing with full voice into battle, hilaritas. Yeah, we're in battle. We're on the front line. Yeah, we're engaged. And you know what? We don't take ourselves too seriously. We do take seriously that God takes us seriously. Ooh. What does that mean? How does that play itself out? Does anybody appreciate anything I'm doing around here? Does anybody see everything I'm giving around this house? Because you know what happens? It's all a gift. I'm a steward, and I'm pouring myself out. And by 8.30 in the morning, I am completely empty. I'm not feeling the gift. Hilarity is the solution. What does hilarity do? Hilarity does this. It gives us a choice. Looking at all of this, did I say, why do I have to do this? Or, I say, thank you, Lord, that I get to do this. This is a gift to me. And that's something that we don't always appreciate. Like, I only have that mess because I have a whole bunch of kids. And I've got dear friends who've been infertile throughout their married lives. They would love to have a mess to clean up. And so often, it's hilarity that's going to rescue us from the bitterness, the resentment, the anger. Why do I have to? You don't have to. You get to. And hilarity will help us realize that, yes, it's all a gift. Even the stewardship is a gift. Even the pouring oneself out is God's gift to me before it's my gift to God or to others. You see, John Paul II's vision for marriage and family, it's transformative. It incorporates the suffering, the sacrifice in a vision that says God invades to bring you a joy and life and wholeness where the world will only show you darkness. My prayer is that you'll welcome John Paul II's vision. That's all a gift. We're just stewards. And we have the privilege of giving ourselves as a gift. 
and in doing all of that, we just won't take ourselves too seriously.